So we're continuing our school year-long march through Paul here today, uh, through Romans here today, written by Paul. And uh, today we're talking about times when you, you know exactly what to do and how to do it, and you just can't, right? You know, have you ever been good at something like that? Have you ever been good at something and ha- had a time where you really struggled to perform in the way you knew you should be able to, you knew you could, right? Things are just off sometimes. You're just not able to get yourself to do what you know you can or should do. So when I was in third or fourth grade, I remember going to Cub Scouts at my elementary school, and we had a lot of extra time one night to play basketball in the gym. Now, I'm a country kid, and so where do you think my basketball hoop was located out on our acreage? It was on the side of the barn and a gravel driveway. So You can imagine how excited I was to play basketball in an actual gym with a floor. Uh, It wasn't gravel. And that excitement still continues today. I I really enjoy playing at the rec center because it's so luxurious and flat, and there's lines painted, and the ball doesn't get wet. It's just, it's incredible. So, So anyway, I was living the dream in elementary school this night with Cub Scouts, um, And you know what? Things just weren't going well for me. Now, I had spent a lot of time practicing uh, living out in the country and not having cable. We spent a lot of time outside. And so um, I had hours and hours and hours of practice. I was really good at layups, reverse layups. Uh, Even in elementary school, I could somehow could do the the under-the-leg thing, although I probably couldn't do that today. And I could use the backboard because my dad was old school, and he insisted it was there to be used, not to be ignored. So this night... I, I did not have a good night. I literally, in about 30 minutes of, of playing with my friends, did not make a single basket. Back and forth, back and forth. I missed every single shot I took. And you might think that's not a big deal in elementary school, but here I am 25 years remembering how odd that felt, right? Things just weren't going the way they were supposed to. I knew it didn't have to be that way. I knew I could do better. Things just felt off. And no matter how hard I tried, no matter how long or short the shot was, no matter how open or guarded I was, I could not make a basket to save my life. Have you ever had a day like that? Have you ever had an experience like that where maybe you were, maybe it was a day where you managed to offend people that you deeply love and you just didn't know how you did that? It was just, you know, that wasn't you. Or maybe. You backed your car into the garage door after 10,000 successful attempts of backing the car out of the garage. That was me two years ago. First time in my life came at age 34 when I shattered the back window of our Explorer. And maybe it was something you knew was wrong and you didn't want to do it, but you just couldn't not do it. Like there's this war, there's this paradox, this tension that rages in us as we try, as we seek to follow Jesus Christ in our lives. Things just feel off sometimes. And this sets us up well for what Paul is talking about today. Paul has spent chapters of Romans talking about righteousness and the law and how the law clarifies sin for us. But here we see that sometimes you just can't do what you want to do. You just can't do what you want. You can't make your life be what you want it to be in Jesus Christ, even though your intentions are good. Sometimes we just can't do it right. So, today we're going to dig a little deeper into Romans 7, and we'll start with verse 7 here. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? 
Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Similarly to what Paul has been arguing over our last few weeks of studying Romans, Paul here reiterates that the law, as spelled out in the scriptures, helps us to define sin. Paul says, I wouldn't have known that coveting was wrong if, God, you hadn't told me that I shouldn't covet, that I should be content instead. When I preached two weeks ago, I highlighted the fact that moral decisions actually still matter for Christians. Grace is a very good, important, real reality that we have, but it's still important for us to know and understand God's heart and to know what is okay and right and permissible according to God's desires and plans, not just our own understanding. So Paul appears upholding the value of the law that it defines right and wrong. It takes away a lot of us having to figure it out on our own or guess. And in defining what sin is, this is good because now we can fight that sin in our lives. We can work against it. We can invite God's grace and light to shine into that darkness. But sin here almost has a mind of its own. I'm going to continue with verse 8. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. Paul treats sin as an adversary here almost, like it's a mind of its own. And I think we could plug in the enemy or something like that, or the evil one. Sin seizes the opportunity to condemn us. It seizes the opportunity to deceive us. And isn't this true? Humanity has some notion, hopefully most of the time, of what's right and what's wrong. Um, I think God has wired us and designed us in a way where uh, some of those things should come a little more naturally to us to discern, right? And then we have Noah. Before the law was given to Moses, Noah was considered righteous. Adam and Isaac were. So we know that there was something about their openness to God and, and their, his, their relationship with God that allowed them to have a little bit of an understanding of what was right and wrong, even though it hadn't been spelled out to them through the law of Moses yet. But where things are not clear... And I think Paul is talking about this a little bit. When things are not clear, we often try to justify things as being good or right, even if they have no business being part of our lives. We, we're really good at looking for loopholes to justify ourselves and our own behavior, especially when we're caught up in an argument or angry. And it's really easy for us to avoid knowing God's law. It's as easy as not picking up God's word. Not picking up the Bible. If you don't want to know the heart of God, then don't pick up your Bible. If you don't want to know what God says is right and wrong, it's really easy to avoid coming to a deeper understanding of that. It's as simple as writing off anything that challenges what you already think or believe. It's as simple as going along with the ebbs and the flows of our culture and our society rather than being anchored in God's word. And when we avoid the law, we do not develop any conviction about sin and death. And that's a very dangerous thing for us as followers of Jesus Christ. 
Sin and death is why Jesus had to come die on the cross, right? When God tells us that something leads to death and we lack conviction in that area, we're much more likely to be pulled towards death. And so we do this, sometimes unintentionally, sometimes because we don't set priorities, but sometimes we do it because sin deceives And the enemy wants us to live in the gray area and the wishy-washy areas of our lives. And the enemy wants us to justify ourselves with our own wisdom and reason rather than according to God's righteousness and God's law. And so we have some really messed up paradigms about life and about the world and about God and his life for us. And this, again, is where the law has value, and knowing God's law and studying God's law has value, because it drives out the deception. Continuing with verse 12. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good, then, become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that... Through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. And now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So yeah, this is one of the more difficult passages to read out loud in the scriptures. And Paul does a really good job capturing this wrestling match, this struggle, this uh, dissonance. So let's simplify it a little bit. Paul, as is possible with us, has God's word, right? He has the Old Testament, he has the law, and he has a dramatic conversion experience where he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so we see in God's word what God desires, the good, the righteousness, and we see in God's word what he views as sin, the unrighteousness, the bad that leads to death, And then we see Jesus perfectly showing us what that looks like in the flesh. And Paul had experienced that too when he came to know Jesus Christ personally. And so what this scripture is telling us is that even in our best days and our best efforts, we know that we do things that are sinful, even though we want to follow Jesus. It's that simple. Even as followers of Jesus, we do things that we know are wrong, And even that we try hard not to do, sometimes we still do them. This is the deception of sin. This is the tension and the dissonance that Paul is trying to communicate here. Um, This sin deceives us and it pulls us away from God's righteousness. And it's not just about a moment here and a moment there. Like This is an ongoing reality that we struggle with. Because we want to follow Jesus when we taste and see how good his love and his righteousness and his gospel is for us. Paul has experienced the good, bad, and the ugly, right? And so he's living in this tension even as the apostle that we often place on a pedestal. You know he doesn't have it 
he knows that he does not have it all figured out. Continuing with verse 21. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, slave to the law of sin. This is a lot of where the Lutheran phrase simultaneously a sinner and a saint comes from, right? There's these two realities raging war in us. Paul here is, this passage really is a summary, not just of what we read this morning, but of the majority of the first seven chapters of Romans. It's almost like he's an attorney wrapping up his findings on the case. And let us remember here that the law he's talking about is not some vague truth or impression. As I said before, this very much refers to God's laws given in the Old Testament, the law of Moses. And then Jesus' fulfillment of that law. So this is something concrete he is building this argument on that we also can know too. And Paul seems to be almost done with this argument. He says, what a wretched man I am. How many of you have ever felt wretched, right? Like the struggle is just way too taxing and real, and we just know we can't, we just know we can't live up to the life that God has for us. I love the humility that Paul writes with here. He, he doesn't view himself as some super Christian. He doesn't view his, himself as better at following Jesus than other people. He is deeply and intimately aware of this sin in his life, even though he has experienced God's grace. And he's fighting it. And he wants us to be aware of that too. I don't know about you, but I am right there with Paul. Sometimes I just want to say, what a wretched man am I? Who will save me from this? So we have this paradox, right? We have this tension. How do we resolve this paradox? We, we know what is right. We grow in that understanding as we study God's word, as we participate in the body of Christ and have conversations and we challenge each other and encourage each other. We grow throughout our lifetime in this way. Yet we still do things that we don't want to do and this battle wages on for the hours, the days, the years of our lives. And like most paradoxes, I can't give you the exact way to resolve that. It's not within my power to do that. I can't give you an answer apart from Jesus Christ. Paul agrees in verse 24. He says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. We see from Paul's life and from his letters and we'll continue to unpack it in Romans, that Paul sees only one physical, logical, and spiritual answer to this problem, and that is Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is both God's law lived out perfectly in the flesh and also the salvation from the law of sin and death. It's where we find grace. It's where we find hope. I want to give you some encouragement today as well. The struggle is real and we're all living it, whether we're aware of it or not. 
So we need encouragement. And the first very practical thing is to allow God to open your heart and mind to know and understand his law better, his heart. And we do that through studying the scriptures, through studying God's word. And we want to know and understand not just the, the good news of the gospel, but what we are being saved from and how insurmountable it is for us to be able to deal with the sin and the deception on our own. Don't avoid the truth. Don't avoid a lack of conviction. It's easier to go through life without conviction because it means you never have to get riled up or stand your ground or do anything like that. But rather than avoiding that truth and conviction, study, learn, discuss, live out the life that God has called you to live. If something is challenging to what you've come to believe or think over your life, and you see something in God's word that, that pushes against that, wrestle with God. He loves you. He'll bring you to a good understanding. Don't just ignore the problem and hope it goes away. You can trust God through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring you to an understanding that is consistent with his love for you. And then I encourage you to remember the one who gives the peace and the patience in the midst of the paradox. We've all been through tough times in our lives, right? Some of us more than others. We've all been stuck in the rut or stuck in the sin or we've just had the circumstances of life overwhelming. Remember that Jesus Christ has grace and peace for you even when it hasn't been resolved even when the paradox still exists. And in, it, in this truth and in this experience, that's our witness as the church, as the body of Christ. We don't live our lives out there as if Jesus has completely redeemed us and we have all the right answers. We know we can't do it on our own. We know we still do things that we don't want to do and we fail to do good things that God has for us but we experience grace and peace in the midst of it. And that's uh, a message that our world needs to hear from the church and from those following Jesus. So on that note, let's close in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we, we live in this paradox. We live in this tension. I think every one of us in this room and watching online wants to be good wants to do what is right and pleasing to you, Lord. But if we're all honest, we'll admit that we don't always do that, and we can't always do that. So, Lord, we confess to you the areas of our lives where we, we, just, we just can't do it on our own. We need your grace and your love, Lord, in the midst of this tension as we continue to live out and experience the life that you have for us. Lord, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ that we were not stuck in that law of sin. There is an alternative and it's worth fighting for and that is the grace of Jesus Christ. That is salvation through the Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we want more truth in our lives so help us, enable us to better understand your law and your word so that we may better understand how big and incredible the gospel actually is for us. Lord, may your light of truth shine in the darkness of sin and death in our lives, in our church, in our community, and across this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.